Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, episode 47. I'm your host, William Galloway. Today is Friday, August 14th, 2020. We've got a great show lined up for you today. Aaron Suttles from The Athletic, of course, covers the Alabama Crimson Tide. We'll join the podcast. We'll talk all things Alabama football and all things college football as well. As always, we'll start with what's new. We'll talk to Aaron Suttles. And there is some news around Alabama athletics, be it in college and professional. So we will go around Alabama athletics to wrap up the podcast as well. So let's go ahead and get right to it, folks. We want to remind everybody that the Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. So check it out there and share it with your friends. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. We start with what's new, and I want to uh, have a little personal anecdote here. Uh, recently was honored and uh, given the privilege of taking the job as the weekend sports anchor at WVUA 23, and I'm honored to carry on that position and give you the best coverage of Alabama athletics, Tuscaloosa High Schools, Western Alabama sports. Um, really an honor to take that job, something I've been working for, and plenty of you have been following along. You can tune in to WVUA 23 on weekends at 10 p.m. I'll have your sports cast and coverage for you there. So, We begin with what's new here on the Galloway Podcast. The Big Ten, the Pac-12, the SOCON, the MAC, and other conferences have canceled their fall sports seasons. It's really sad. It's unfortunate. You hate to see it for those athletes. But really, especially, you look at the Big Ten and the Pac-12 being two of the Power Five conferences, and there's just a lot of questions going on. What's the SEC going to do? What's the ACC going to do? What's the Big 12 going to do? Well, we'll talk with Aaron about that here momentarily, but that is what's new in terms of college football and obviously the big story right now. Also, what's new in the NBA, the Suns went 8-0 and in the bubble, but they didn't make the playoffs. How about that? I mean, why have a team in the bubble if they can go undefeated and still not make the playoffs? I know why. It's because money, and you know that too. It's the NBA. That's how things operate. But still, I mean, undefeated, not making the playoffs, there's got to be some tweak to the system, and, and they should have they should have done better from the outskirt. And I understand it's about money, but shout out to the Suns for going 8-0, having a very impressive run in Orlando. All the best to them as they enter the offseason, unfortunately not headed to the playoffs. Also in the NBA, Jim Boylan is out as the Bulls head coach after two seasons. That news broke this, far, this Friday morning. Um, and also what's new, when we look at – TV and entertainment, Tua, a documentary series on Alabama's Tua Tungavailoa and now the Miami Dolphins' Tua Tungavailoa will premiere on Sunday, September 6th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox. A Tua documentary on Fox, so you're going to want to check that out. That'll be pretty cool, highlighting uh, his journey from Hawaii to Tuscaloosa, now to Miami. He just keeps moving eastward. Maybe later on in his NFL career, he might even move up the coast, play for Belichick and the Patriots. Uh, We'll have to see, but that Tua documentary is definitely going to be something you're going to want to check out. And now you're going to want to check out Aaron Suttles here on the Galloway Podcast. We're talking all things college football. Reminder, the Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. Let's kick it over now to our interview with Aaron. I'm joined by Aaron Suttles, the Alabama beat writer for The Athletic Now here on the Galloway Podcast. Aaron, how are you? I'm well. How are you? 
I'm I'm doing well. School is uh is close to being back and it's been a busy week and so we can go ahead and jump right into it here uh with lots to recap in terms of the Big 10, the Pac-12 canceling their seasons. I mean, you know, and, and days before that the MAC and yesterday the SoCon. What has this week been like for you and what's been your reaction to seeing everything that's happened so far? Uh honestly not really surprised that that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 made the decisions that they did, you know, sort of given the way the conversation was headed with those two conferences and that they, they would probably be aligned uh, in their decisions. I, I am, however, surprised at the timing of it. I, I didn't think it needed to be made right now. I still think uh, with, with the fall calendar being what it is, um, they could have moved their schedule back like the SEC did to a September 26th or even later start date and, and made the decision down the road but they uh, their medical experts just gave them the feeling that this would not be any better and so they're going to try to um, at least pass off the notion that they're going to attempt this in the winter I don't know why spring season keeps coming up because a January start would certainly be winter and we know what viruses do in the winter I, I don't think they'll have very much success in a January start but I, I wish them well uh, I was happy to see that um the SEC and the ACC, and right now the Big 12 are, are going to use that time that they have on the calendar before they actually decide whether to pull the plug or, or to continue playing. And, and yeah, you mentioned that, that winter season. I honestly think pushing that back and saying, hey, we'll try again in January, you're just bagging your whole year and saying, this isn't going to happen, we can't do this, we don't have the tools or the know-how right now, and so we're just going to push this off. And eventually, like you said, like that's going to cancel their season. There's, In your mind, from it sounds like what you were saying, there's no possibility of any type of spring season because that will impact the 2021 season. Yeah, I don't see how they do that. If, if, their, if their real concern is quote-unquote player safety, then I don't see how you ask uh, 18- to 22-year-olds to play a – 20, 22 football games in the span of 10 months. I, I, I don't think that's reasonable. I don't think it's possible. And I also don't think they're being completely honest. I, I, I think it's a liability issue because if it was just about safety, then why are, why are undergrads? Why aren't schools completely going online in the Big in the Big Ten, in the Pac-12? And I know Stanford has made the decision they're going to go all online for all their classes, but the majority of these universities, they're welcoming students back. So what's the difference? The difference in my mind, is the liability of what would happen if a player got contracted the illness and spread it, and the worst-case scenario, a player died or had congenitive heart failure or something. Um, I don't think they want that on their hands. I, I understand that. I just don't think they're being completely honest with us when they throw around player safety, but then they're gonna they're willing to play 20 games in a year span with these kids, and they're welcoming students back on campus. I think it's a liability issue. And obviously, Nick Saban said a similar thing on Sports Center and ESPN, saying that um, you know we feel that our players are safest here. Obviously, with the new videos that we've seen, Alabama's uh, not only physical but mental health and everything they have for their student athletes is the best in the country. Um, personal opinion there, but just by you know what we've seen in those videos, it really is. But every other school has you know good facilities and good care, especially for their football players. Are, are the players really safest, you know, at school? I, I think they are, and I, I don't really think that's a comparable um, thing at all to being safe at school versus being safe at home. Where do you stand on that? I think 
it's almost a two-part answer. I think the way things stand now, they're they're absolutely, without question, more safe uh, in the environment that these uh, athletic departments create for them. The question is, how do they how do they maintain that when students come back? And um, you know, they can't be in a bubble like the NBA. It's just not the way this is set up. So, are they safest when students come back? In some regards, probably not. But as you mentioned, when they go back home start opening up mental health um, questions on this too about you know not having a season and then they're sent home and uh, they probably are uh, in, in a variety of ways healthiest in the full sense of the word physically and mentally emotionally spiritually they probably are healthier uh, around their teammates and, and back in school and back to quote-unquote normal life or as close to normal life as they'll experience uh, i don't think there's a coach out there that that wants to put his players at risk. I think everyone's trying to do this as responsibly as, as they possibly can. Uh, I, if there's one complaint I would have about the SEC is I wish they'd be a little more transparent, a little more forthcoming about their medical experts and what their task force is telling them because we're being told through the national media but the Big, Big 12, or the Big 10 rather, and the Pac-12, are, their medical experts are saying it's unfeasible to play, whereas the SEC we're getting... Uh, uh, a different message, but we're not being able to talk to those doctors or anyone on the task force. So if the SEC would be a little more transparent, I think it would quiet some of this conversation. Right. Yeah. A lot of the, the sources and everything like that has been, has been in question. I want to ask you too about this past week, obviously the hashtag we want to play has been, um, you know, blowing up and, and led by people like Najee Harris and Trevor Lawrence, but who has had the biggest statement um, in your opinion? Well, I think the, the, the two main quarterbacks you start talking about, as you mentioned, Trevor Lawrence, you throw Justin Fields in there. Those are two guys that are, are stars of the game, and they found their footing and their voice through social media. And you wake up one morning and you see a hashtag, we want to play, and it's gaining traction. And whereas before, you know, 20, 30 years ago, before there was social media, you didn't hear from a player unless you went through sports sports information or media relations. Right. They would have to set that up. Well, now players, they literally can hold a press conference at the, you know, pushing a button. They mm-hmm. have the world available to them. They can, they can shape their message and what they want to do, and they can do it across campuses. And they can almost have a, a coalition of players, or as some people are saying, an association of players, which I think is a very intriguing idea. Um, one many people would say is, is past due that these players have more of a say and, and maybe deserve um, some of the what's at stake in terms of, of money and what they're putting up. So it's just uh, when, I, when I saw Trevor Lawrence and then you mentioned Najee Harris. Najee Harris is a pretty quiet guy. Right. I mean, this is the guy when he got to Alabama and, and they were playing in national championship games during media days where every player was paid available. He'd go hide in the tunnel for the entire hour. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't do media and then all of a sudden – He's one of the national voices, so I think it speaks to to the power of the movement that a player like Najee Harris, who's been sort of reticent in, in, in how he's handled media and, and throwing, putting himself out there, that he's suddenly willing to jump into this fray. Is um, I think it speaks, if you know who he is, it adds something to this movement. Right. Chris Owen stood out to me, I mean, calling out the lack of leadership in college football, which I have a question for you about in a minute. 
uh, but not saying like saying they don't have a baseline plan. And he's not saying Greg Sankey or he's not saying Greg Byrne because um, he's saying Alabama's doing a great job. Obviously, the SEC is kind of leading the charge here. But the overall lack of leadership in college football, can you explain um, kind of how obviously we've seen schools and conferences act independently here? Um, but in terms of leadership, if there were a college football commissioner, would that help with the current state of the game? It depends on how much power uh, a commissioner would have uh, and how much uh, how much the Power Five would cede to that commissioner. Um, I do think it would be helpful to have one voice that acted in the best interest of the game, and so it would be less partisan because we already see the partisanship cranking up and and people taking shots at the SEC and the ACC and the Big Twelve for continuing. And um, so that's that's already started. But I, I think when you have someone who's genuine best interests or genuine job to do would be what's best for the game. I I think that's good because right now there's just, everyone seems to be on a different page and, you know, something as simple as we talked about being transparent, but what happens, let's say we get to the season and Alabama starts the season on September 26th. And then two weeks later, they have a positive test. Someone tests positive. How do you go about quarantine when right. they've been practicing with their teammates? They've been in close proximity to all their teammates. Do you quarantine the whole team? Is there a threshold of number of guys that if you quarantine that you have to shut it down? So these are questions when you start talking about Chris Owens and and he wants more transparency, he wants more answers. That would be something that a commissioner could help, uh, help get done. And I think this is a prime example. I think people are going to see the need for a position like a czar or a commissioner of college football the problem is, what's the incentive for the Power Five to give up their autonomy to do that? Right. I, I was going to say, you know, to your point, it is it is fair and it could be a justified position. However, if two conferences of the Power Five have canceled already, we would probably see, you know, it would be the same all across the board. It'd be either everyone plays or nobody plays. And if no, if two conferences out of five are not going to play, then it would be all five that don't play. Uh, and in and, and that same light, would forming a players association, I mean, would that create among student athletes, you know, if there was something like that, would that be justified? Um, because they were pushing for that with the hashtag we want to play. I think it would be justified, but I, I think you'd have to be very careful. Because I, I think there would be, there would be ways, everyone has an agenda, right? I think there would be ways to pervert that to, to maybe be more than what it was intended to be. An association that looks out for the genuine well-being of student athletes, both health, and then you would be foolish to say at this point you have to throw some sort of money into it because I think the players recognize they've been reading for five months about what happens to the, the, the these towns, these schools, the athletic departments if there's no football. And that the money, and the huge sum of money that's attached to that, they've had an awakening that well, okay, so everyone's telling us that the school might be in, in danger if we don't play football. We create that value, so don't we deserve a seat at the table in divvying up that pie? I, I think there's some legitimate conversations that need to be had about that. Some people agree with that. Some people think that scholarship and, and room and board and books is more than enough. So if you had a players' association, at least with a seat at the table, um, which I think I think it scares some of these schools, some of these presidents – some of these commissioners to death because it's it's their business model. It's based on amateurism. So, but I think it's where we're headed, and 
um, it's it's just a matter of how quickly we get there. Right, and and you know there there are two very valid sides to the argument as you mentioned. And I mean, ever since growing up, writing papers on it, you know, middle school, high school, even college classes now, I've I've found myself citing both ways, especially, you know, having a relationship with some college athletes, whether they be football players or golfers or whatever. There's always two sides to the story. And I think, you know, with present when you're presented with one type of evidence versus another, it's a topic you could easily flip flop on. I want to ask a couple quick hitters here, um, and this is all pending that Alabama has a football season. In your opinion, who are you most excited to see? Oh man, great question. There's so many. I don't know if I can limit it to one. Um, I mean, we have to start with Bryce uh, because there's been so much hype around him. Although. I've been leading the charts since I watched him close the season. I think Max Jones is, is more than capable of leading Alabama to where it wants to go. But um, I, I want to see Bryce. I want to see Trey Sanders. Uh, he's a guy that I've heard a lot of great things about. Brian Branch is a young guy that's getting some, some really positive comparisons to his young career. Christian Barmore, I think, is a guy that could really help himself the most this year. I think he could go – if he has the right kind of season to a first-round NFL draft pick next year, if there's a season. And then, of course, Dylan Moses. Um, I think he was. we were all robbed of what could have been last year with that young man and, and seeing him back. But those are a few. Um, but, I mean, I could, I could also spend the next 30 minutes listing the rest of the guys. Right, <laughs> yeah, go so through the entire roster. Things. I mean, even down to Will Reichard, seeing a kicker with a lot of promise. Um, you know, I, I hit something when he when he sent the hashtag we want to play. I sent in all caps. I said we want to kick field goals, and everyone said slow your roll now. Hold on, I, I don't know if we want that quite yet. Uh, it, it's still the University of Alabama. Uh, but looking at, at the SEC schedule, uh, Alabama adding Kentucky at home and and at Missouri. You look at teams like Missouri that got kind of screwed with uh, LSU and Alabama. What was your analysis and takeaway from the SEC schedule and complaints even that Alabama still runs the conference getting a team like teams like Kentucky and Missouri? Well, I, I think if you look at it, LSU made better made it off better than anybody else. Um, of the of the teams that Alabama could have played. Um, Florida would obviously have been the strongest, that, um, but that didn't happen. But of the, the of the other teams, Kentucky's probably the second best team they could have played. Some people are going to laugh, but um, of the five teams that, that the SEC had to choose from, given the fact that Alabama was already going to play Tennessee, they are going to play Georgia as part of the schedule this year from the East, that leaves you five other teams to choose from. Kentucky's the second best of those. It's not, it's not Florida, obviously. But Kentucky's are really good on the offensive line. They're really good on the defensive side. So they're a solid football team in the trenches. They're not going to be pushed around. they got a quarterback coming back in Terry Wilson that's coming back. So they're not I'm, not – I'm not sitting here trying to spin this as, hey, they're Florida. But it is the second-best team. But I think when you look at it in totality, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with any other explanation than the SEC – protected the teams that it thinks gives it the best chance to be in the college football playoff, whether that be Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Georgia, or Florida. Those teams got the best end of that draw. Meanwhile, Arkansas gets crushed and Missouri gets crushed. So um, it, it sort of is what it is. And I don't, I don't know that you look at it and think that they drew teams out of the hat. It certainly didn't happen that way. I think it, it was an effort by the SEC, or at least appears to be, 
an effort by the SEC to protect its top-level teams. Right, and you mentioned the college football playoff. Let's just talk about that for a moment because, you know, the Pac-12 uh, pushing things back and the Big Ten pushing things back. If we see the other three power three of the five, three of the five power five conferences play a season, uh, is there any in your mind? Is there any asterisk on a college football playoff for someone claiming a national championship or winning the national championship in a, in a playoff system this year? No, no, no more so than there was by voters deciding the national championship back in the eighties or the seventies when two teams, the two tip best teams, didn't play each other. You just played a bowl game, and then a bunch of voters got together. To decide who they were going to crown champion, and if we're going to put an asterisk on this season, where there, where there would be a playoff, albeit without without forty percent of your participants, um, I understand the argument. But you play with with what's available, and you know we had it. We've this college football is a sport in which it is very imperfect the way we've decided a championship for the majority of college football's history, um, and we've just. It's only been since 2014 we've actually had a playoff. So and that could still even – you could say it's still not even right with four teams. Exactly. And it's probably going to expand and it's going to be different in 10 years than it is today. So I understand the desire for some people, particularly those in the Midwest and, and Pacific Northwest that want to put an asterisk on it, but I wouldn't. Absolutely. And you talked about Bryce Young earlier in, in terms of wanting to see him. How much of him do you think we actually will see? Let's again, still in the hypothetical that there will be a season come the end of September. How many reps will he get? Because Mac has so much experience. It's a great question. It's a relevant question. Uh, I think it largely depends on, on how much weight and strength that, that Bryce has added because it's, an, it's now an all-SEC schedule. There are no off weeks, no gimmies, no, no sisters of the poor, no paycheck games. Um, so how much he can physically withstand being a smaller – guy and and two is how much how much did Nick Saban learn from from 2017 when he almost lost the transcendent talent in Tua is he willing to do the same um and that will probably be answered by by how well Bryce does in scrimmages and in practices during the way if he keeps lighting teams like lighting his own defense up like Tua did in 2017 I think Nick Saban will be much quicker to pull the trigger to get his quarterback ready to play than he did back with Tua. But that again, that depends on, in my mind, how physically ready Bryce is and how he actually goes out there and performs. Right. One thing I always think about, uh, probably once a week, honestly, is Tua in that wide receiver room. I mean, how much higher Calvin Ridley could have gone in that draft uh, had Tua been throwing him even, you know, 30% more passes that season. And so, you know, it's it's not about people's draft stock. It's about having a season and putting the best team forward to win a game. But there are, you know, other factors, one thing that leads to another. Last question here for you, Aaron. Uh, the listeners probably would want to know your insight on fans this year. Will we see fans in Bryant-Denny Stadium? Uh, yes, um, I can't imagine that the Skybox owners wouldn't be allowed because those are, they're already sort of self-contained as it is. I think capacity will, will be way down, but yeah, I think we'll see Brian Denny with some people in the stands. I don't know if we'll go the NBA route with virtual fans or not, but there will be real-life bodies, in my opinion. I just don't think a whole lot of them. Right, we've seen uh, plenty of crowd noise being pumped with uh, the playing of Dixieland Delight as a student. I know that all too well, uh, experiencing that the past two years uh, in in the student section. But, Aaron, thank you so much for joining the podcast again and providing Alabama football insight on uh, what we are hopeful for in a season starting in just a couple weeks. My problem. Thanks so much for having me.
Thanks again to Aaron for joining the Galloway Podcast. Second time I've had him on and always enjoy talking to him, hearing his expertise, hearing what he has to say, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. If you have any feedback, you can hit me up on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway, and also be sure to follow Aaron for his coverage of Alabama athletics as well. We now go to the next segment here on the Galloway Podcast around Alabama athletics, and as we talked about with Aaron, Alabama will take on Kentucky and Missouri for the 2020-10 game SEC schedule. Of course, Kentucky will be in Bryant-Denny Stadium, and Missouri will be on the road for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Also, the Alabama football team had Michael Jordan speak to the team about winning. Really cool tidbit there if you saw um, on Alabama's social medias, Jordan's Sound bites on winning, winning and what it takes to win. Really cool that Alabama affords its football players the opportunity to hear from greats. Obviously, Kobe Bryant spoke a few years ago. Michael Jordan this year, they've heard from Charles Barkley. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg, all these type people have come and spoke to Alabama players about being successful and being a winner. So really cool opportunity there for Alabama football players. Uh also around Alabama athletics in the professional ranks, Dante Hall was uh, pushing Giannis Antetokounmpo around last week, and I think he about broke Giannis. I mean, Giannis is now facing a one-game suspension after headbutting Mo Wagner, and uh, ever since Dante pushed Giannis over, it's it's kind of been downhill for Giannis. He hasn't been he hasn't been quite the same, and of course that's uh, it's been fun to see Dante play for the Nets. He's been an exciting player, and um, he's done really well, and, and that's something that comes to no surprise to Alabama basketball fans. So, we now look elsewhere around Alabama athletics back in the collegiate ranks. Wilson Furr, Alabama men's golfer, ended the 2020 U.S. Amateur in the round of 32 that also included a record-setting 62-stroke round during stroke play. So shout-out to Wilson Furr for the incredible, incredible play at the 2020 U.S. Amateur. That 62-stroke round was extremely impressive and continuing just a hot streak for Alabama golf uh, amateurs as well as professionals. And last thing here around, we're going to cut off the athletics part and say around Alabama. Folks, I talked about this on a previous podcast saying Fusaklis had come to Tuscaloosa, and I'm here to tell you, I went and I tried it, and it is just the same as a Zaxby's, a Guthrie's, a chicken place with an orange sauce and french fries. It's the exact same. I mean, it's good, yes, absolutely, but Mobile Twitter and everyone that's all gung-ho on Fusaklis being the best place ever, no. It's just another chicken place. So that's the takeaway on Foo Sackley's. I want to thank everybody for joining the Galloway Podcast, episode 47. As we wrap up today's show, I want to remind you that Galloway Podcast merchandise is available, and we have an announcement here at the end. Comfort Colors t-shirts are in and available, size medium through double XL, a white Comfort Colors shirt with a pocket on the front left chest, the Galloway Podcast logo in all black on that pocket. No design on the back. A great shirt. You're going to want to get one before they're out. There's very limited supply. A $20 comfort color shirt with a Galloway Podcast logo. DM me on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway to purchase your Galloway Podcast shirt today. A reminder that tumblers, coffee mugs, golf towels, game day stickers are available as well. As we look back on today's episode, of course, we do as we always do, talking about what's new. We talk to Aaron Suttles. We go around Alabama athletics, and I remind you that Fusaklis is just another chicken place. And I want to remind everybody of the Galloway Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and SoundCloud. This is the Galloway Podcast, where there's the right way, the wrong way, and there's the Galloway.